listening to the ASN Kidney News Podcast. Fahim Rahim, MD Fasson, and Naeem Rahim, MD, are brothers who are nephrologists in southern Idaho. They are also recent recipients of the Ellis Island Medal of Honor, recognized for their work in the area of rural health care. In this episode, ASN Counselor Ronald Falk, MD Fasson, speaks with the Rahim brothers about their work. Hello, this is Ron Falk for the American Society of Nephrology, and today our guests are the Rahim brothers from southeast Idaho, and we're here to talk with them about a number of subjects. But first of all, welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Good to be here. Uh, First of all, paint us a picture of where you practice. Tell us what southeast Idaho looks like and your practice there. I'll go for it, Ron. So I'll tell you, I'm sitting in my office, looking out the window, a beautiful mountain surrounding me, capped with snow, and nice lush greenery around it. So it's really nice and sunny and beautiful, so it's great to look outside my window right now. I would just say, uh, he is probably sitting in my office, that's why he's got such a good view. It's it's a gorgeous country. It's a place where you can ski in the morning and, and golf uh, later in the day. You've got the best trout fishing in the world. And if you choose to do any of those things, uh, this is heaven. How did you wind up in Idaho? Fahim got in, out of the practice first, and uh, he went to Florida to join the practice. And luckily, he chose to be the year that he got like three hurricanes land on the city that he was living in. So when he sent me an invitation to join him in his practice there, I said, no, thank you. And uh, I looked around, and I tried to convince Fahim that we need to start our own practice. And we looked around the, the whole of country, and in the end, we decided on Idaho because it was the least served, the most appropriate for the kind of things Fahim and I wanted to do. And, so let's uh, talk about that for a minute, because both of you have been commended for your work in preventative care in an area which is really has limited access to physicians. So tell us what kind of preventative care and how you deal with a limited access issue. Ron, I mean, just a part of the previous question also, we decided to move out here because we were truly looking for a change in personal and professional lifestyles. Personally, it's been very gratifying as well as professionally. We were looking for underserved areas. This was truly underserved. Uh, when we started our practice, the first thing we realized truly was uh, we need to invest into technology, and that's kind of what we did starting from 2005. We also realized that we have to truly invest in educating our patients, our communities, our physicians, our peers and colleagues. So that's kind of what you know our take was from, from the very start. And if you realize, Ron, th- these are the communities that haven't had nephrologists around for a long time. I used to jokingly say, you have more nephrologists in Valhalla, New York, where we trained in New York Medical College, than you have in the whole state of Idaho. Uh, there are like seven or eight nephrologists, and two of them are related. And it really was a it was a pivotal point for us when we came here and we recognized that these people were doing the best job they could, given the circumstances for a pretty large population uh, without a nephrologist. And uh, education became the priority number one for the physicians and the staff in the community. Fahim, do you want to add to that? This was really like a sponge, so we didn't really have to go to too far extremes to educate our people. Very simple things. Just giving you an example, I mean, in 2005 when we started, a common counsel for our physicians or nephrologists for us is, okay, we'll call the nephrologist when the patient needs dialysis. Or nephrologist is basically a physician. I mean, the common scenario was who will be called at the time the dialysis is needed. 
So changing the simple perception that we're not truly dialysis doctors, you know, our primary job is to prevent dialysis and take care of problems earlier on has been phenomenal, you know. So starting with a, with a very simple change of thought process, and I'm talking not only patients but also physicians at large, you know, because they didn't have access to nephrology that available readily and they did the best they can and seek help towards the very end. How do you deal with people, however, who really are in critical condition, the acute kidney injury cases? Do they all come to a central place or are you on the road a lot? Over the last six years, we've, uh, we, we had a need to grow. So we started, just to give you the scenario, we started from southeastern Idaho. For the first town where we landed was Pocatello. Um, then there was another town about 35, 30 miles north of us, Blackfoot, and then another one, another 25, 30 miles north, which is out of Falls. So we've kind of established three practice regions where patients have access to care or maybe 45, 50 miles radius. We travel between them. Patients can now access those areas, but mind you, I mean, I mean our catchment area right now is close to 200,000 patients, so patients still sometimes have to drive three hours to reach out of Falls office, but the communities that are living around us used to drive three, four hours to go down to Salt Lake or Boise before that to, to seek help for nef- you know, clinical nephrology. So we have access points available now where you know we see patients, and on a daily basis, patients thank us because you know, now they live three miles away and previously they had to drive three, four hours to just get care for their chronic nephritis that they've been treated for or plenty of transplant patients. I mean huge population of transplant patients that we were surprisingly tapped over the last six years and then streamlined their care. And coming to your acute kidney injury point, uh, there are very good hospitals in the area that have been providing very good service uh, over the years. Pocatello has a hospital called Portland Medical Center that just spent $300 million to uh, to create a brand new hospital for, uh, from an older hospital. and. Uh, that is providing excellent care in all fields and specialities. And similarly, Idaho Falls is a hospital called Eastern Idaho Regional Medical Center, which is a level two trauma center. Uh, these hospitals have been there, but interestingly, did not have nephrologists. People were doing their best to treat acute kidney injury, but again, uh, even now the, now the fact that patients know that there's an Idaho Kidney Institute. Right. I mean, Portland Hospital. Surrounding areas and all this as well, and they, they refer their patients to us. And hence, the acute kidney injury time lag has shortened because of our presence. Our listeners should know that in 2007, both of you were recognized on the floor of the U.S. Senate, noted your work that has helped close the gap in health care for lots of people in Idaho. Um, so whatever you have organized there really has already achieved national attention. What recommendations would you give to somebody just starting out who wants to improve the care of patients with kidney disease in relatively rural areas? These are the benefits of being in a smaller community. I don't want to belittle anybody by saying that whatever I did or Fahim did was above and beyond what nephrologists are doing every single day in this country or other physicians. The only difference is we're not part of the rut anymore. What we do shows up. The benefit is the good that you do shows up. And, of course, on the, on the other hand, if one does bad, that shows up fairly quickly, too, like a jungle fire. These are small communities of 250,000 people all scattered around the place. What my recommendation for newer physicians is always that this negative connotation that is associated with the word rural 
and medicine needs to be removed. I think this is a this is something that needs to be in present day and age. We are not actually rural anywhere in the United States. And Fahim and I have done our best to create these kind of and help uh, new physicians over the years with our practices. We have an entity called Nephro Consultants. Fahim can talk about that helps uh, newer physicians get into places and establish their practices based on the idea that we did. I'd like Fahim to talk a little bit more about it, but that's that's where we start them. Truly, just like what Naeem said, when we combine two words, rural and medicine or rural and healthcare, it does have a little bit of a negative connotation. And truly, in today's age of technology and availability, and if we truly use education and technology together, I think we can really cross plenty of barriers. And that has been the pivotal reason why we've been able to do what we've done. And so the first suggestion will be to truly be open for ideas. You know, I mean, we were fellows at one point, and when we were about to graduate, all we were looking for, you know, the recruiters calling us in all kinds of areas, and any time we will see a name we would not recognize state-wise, location-wise, it would just, you know, tame us down. So I think we should be open for it. Ideas also need to come from uh, fellowship programs, I, I personally believe, and I think that's can be aware ASN can also help uh, in, in this regard is that the program directors need to uh, make maybe uh, put in a volunteer program where uh, a fellow in their first year fellowship can go and spend on on volunteer basis two weeks or three weeks or whatever choosing is and and come and spend some time with physicians like Neem and I and, and see truly what can be done and and I think that would be a great startup point for the future. Let me push on this technology question for a minute. Uh, there have been a number of attempts by state and federal uh, commissions and government to push technology as a way of helping physicians and patients in rural environments. When you say that nobody's really rural in America, to a certain extent that's true just as long as they have access to the Internet. Uh, how have you practically used technology to bridge those distance gaps? One of the things we do is, I mean, like I said, in our practices are scattered over 45, 50 miles, but our catchment area is that far away. It's 250,000 people, three, four hours long drive. We, on a regular basis, will communicate with our physicians. Sometimes they cannot send a patient down to us, so, you know, it's not truly telemedicine, but, you know, we've, we've done Skypes with them. We've done online communications with them a lot of email interaction, exchange of uh, information through web. We've created two um, good websites which we try to update as much as possible with education material. We are always directing on every interaction with the patient to go to our website and get more information, encouraging them or their family members. You know, uh, there always is a family member. But truly, access to Internet is, for, is, is the key. You know, that's, that's where it needs to start from. But which is definitely a lot better now than it was in 2005 than we were started off with. And, and, and another thing that we are trying to dwell more into and, and get ourselves more involved with is the social media aspect of things. Uh, doctors, especially nephrologists, are not into the social media uh, for the practice as much as we would like them to be. And Fahim and I, our, ner our next um, uh, campaign is to get ourselves uh, YouTube channels and, uh, you know, uh, 
Twitter accounts that tend to stay in touch with our patients with in regards to the educational aspects so they have a constant stream of information going both ways. That is our next big uh, thing on our uh, agenda on our table, and, and we've been working very hard to uh, have that uh, materialize in the near future. You two could uh, form the nephrology uh, equivalent to car talk uh, with two brothers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, would be- but you'd have to change. You'd have to come up with some jokes and things like that, and have call in. It could be. It could be just fantastic. It picked up by uh, NPR. I can see it now. You'll be amazed at the amount of bickering that happens between us directly and indirectly. Let me give you an example. Every time he's rounding, if he's a week before me and doing the hospital rounds, and if the patient has never seen me, he will leave the patient with this statement at the end saying, uh, by the way, please don't laugh at my brother when he shows up tomorrow. He's four feet five, and he's missing a couple of teeth, but he's a good doctor. Every time I enter that that room, patients start laughing on my face, and I don't know what to do with it. My my statement for Fahim is usually that I'm the better-looking Rahim, and that's the most famous catchment. Uh, I say I'm the better-looking but less intelligent, because you can always get brains. You can never get looks. So that tends to work very well. <laughs> Let me move us to another subject, and you both deserve tremendous congratulations uh, on being named the Ellis Island Medal of Honor recipient. So this is uh, an honor from the National Ethnic Coalition of Organizations, and they sponsor the Ellis Island Medal of Honor Awards each and every year. And for our listeners, this award recognizes individuals who have dedicated themselves to community service who typically have honored the, their own histories and traditions of a specific ancestry group and who have tried to bridge uh, the bridges between the ethnic and racial and religious groups in the United States. So a couple of questions, the first of which is, uh, how did you get this award? What, how did they find you, do you think? And what does it mean to have received this prestigious award? I guess I'll I'll go for it. So, uh, Ron, truly, you're right. I mean, this is truly a prestigious award, and and uh, just a background on this. I mean, every year they get about eight, nine thousand nominations of people who are truly out in the fields and trying to make a difference on a day-to-day basis. So they're always looking for people who are doing this. Out of the eight or ten thousand nominations they get, they select eighty-five to a hundred medalists. I guess people back in the East, when we left, they've been watching our careers and, you know, when we were leaving, people were curious why we were moving to Idaho and uh, we said, you know, we want to make a difference. We don't know what we're going to do, but we truly want to do something. So truly, it's a great honor. I mean, w- I mean, once again, to be counted among names like, you know, Joe DiMaggio, Colin Powell's six U.S. presidents have received it, as, as you must have read, and including multiple Nobel laureates and Muhammad Ali. So we're truly honored to be part of the same ranks. Uh, at least counted amongst. So, um, but the reason is um, what this celebrates is, is the great American, you know, cultural mosaic where people from different cultures can come from different walks of life, stand together, and, and truly can make a difference. So, uh, this is honor to be part of this, and um, I guess you know what we decided we wanted to do six years ago has truly, you know, showing some difference. Now that you've achieved this milestone, and it's a major milestone, where are you headed next? 
What's your next? Well, I plan on retiring, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I truly, uh, I'll say a couple of quick words to name, and then you can chime in. I, I think truly it's an opportunity, like any other opportunity, to do more. I, I think uh, my next step for me will be to to take it to the next level and inspire more people and to create more hope and build more bridges among not only cultures and religious barriers, but also, you know, keep doing what I do best, which is among healthcare. I think there are plenty of bridges that we need to, to build among our referral pay bases and our patients and truly inspire the next generation of fellows. I mean, there are hundreds of fellows who are going through training programs and, and going back to them and communicating with them that, yeah, yeah, even in today's day and age, you could be like, someone who can make a difference and, and don't hesitate in trying new ideas and new experiments and doing something that somebody would think that you know, you're totally crazy to try to attempt. In that regard, if you want to influence trainees, Idaho doesn't have its own medical school, so it's part of the whammy program. Uh, Washington, Alaska, Montana, Idaho. Have you folks interacted with WAMI? Yeah, um, WAMI is a, is a great program. It's been there for years and years. Uh, Twenty of our uh, uh, residents, uh, local uh, people, go to the WAMI program every year. Family medicine. Deep down, uh, deep down, I'm. Uh, I'm a little surprised that we don't have a medical school. Uh, coming from a country like Pakistan, originally, we are one of our greatest exports is physicians. And uh, for some reason, I can never understand why we don't have uh, a distributive type of a program that will provide me uh, medical education for the state of Idaho, by the state of Idaho. But the WAMI has done a good job training a lot of our, uh, our students. The problem with the WAMI that I felt over the years is probably not a lot of those students end up being in rural Idaho. A lot of them go to Boise, a lot of them go to specialty and specialties in the future, which is fine. There are good residency programs, there are WAMI residency programs that we interact with. There's one in Boise that we don't have much interaction with, but there's a great program in Idaho, uh, State University uh, Family Medicine Residency Program, uh, which trains physicians every year in family medicine. And uh, we are the affiliate faculty with Idaho State University in the training of those uh, physicians. A lot of those have stayed back into many rural communities around us. And these physicians have turned out to be great referral sources as well as great physicians from a nephrology point of view um, because they have been trained well enough that they pick up chronic kidney disease much earlier, the signs and symptoms of acute kidney injury, the prevention aspect of it that uh, we have gone over over the years of their training. And uh, they are our uh, great, great physicians out there who are providing us with uh, patients who are coming in much earlier because of that. So in many ways, that has come out to be really good for us. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll just say a couple of lines on that. So we, we have been involved in their education with the Family Medicine Residency Program, and we've truly seen a difference once these graduates are have decided to stay in the community. So so just giving the example of what I said earlier, previously, you know, somebody would call you, okay, this patient needs dialysis, and now the same, you know, family medicine residents who are now practicing will call you, and we are honored to say that, you know, 
you know, Dr. Rahim, I have a patient with stage 3 slash 4 kidney disease and I've done the metabolic bone disease profile and the ultrasound has been ordered and and uh, I let you follow up on this. And so things have, have we've seen truly a difference in, in the thought process by just interacting face-to-face and educating and doing grand rounds with them and, and having them come and rotate with us in the clinic for a couple of weeks, you know, during their third years and things like that. Thank you, both of you, for spending time with us uh, on this ASN podcast. It's really a pleasure to talk with you. And again, congratulations on your awards. This has been Ron Falk for the American Society of Nephrology saying goodbye. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology. All rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. The information in this podcast should not be used during a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified health care provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology. 